0: Hello everyone, and welcome to the next episode of Common Room Talk. My name is Tony, and I'm your host. Now I know that last episode we actually left off on quite a little cliffhanger, and I know that everyone is probably really ready to get right back into the story, but we have some things to cover first. And me, being the overachiever that I am, for some reason got sick again this week, even though it's only been like two and a half weeks since I had COVID maybe three weeks I can't remember exactly when but this week has not been fun I almost thought there wasn't going to be another episode this week because of it however I think that I will be okay getting through and recording I just might sound a little weird as I'm recording and for that I apologize now like I said we have some stuff to get through before we get back into the story today The first being I was really overwhelmed by the amount of feedback that I got about maybe possibly changing the format of the episodes to not being so much a walking through or narration of the stories and maybe just being talking points to keeping it the way that I do keep it. And so maybe instead of changing things, I will try and keep walking along the same lines, but maybe adding in an episode or two where I am just going over talking points, maybe previous stuff that we've already went through, through like a few chapters or something. I don't know. I just, I want to make sure that, again, copyright laws and all of that fun stuff, that I'm not treading in an area where I could be doing something that is not okay by going and reading too much of the story in an episode. I don't know how much is too much. And I know I, I need to look into it. I just don't know exactly where to start when it comes to trying to do that as not so much an audio book but a commentary and I know that commentaries are okay depending on how you're doing it and the fact that I'm not doing anything for any monetary value is the huge thing I think I could probably sit here and read all I wanted as long as I'm not getting any money for it and not taking credit for any of the work except my voice doing the reading kind of thing but beyond that I wanted to really try and still make this more of my own thing and not just so much a person reading the book just like Jim Dale or Stephen Fry would be. But that's not what I've done at all. I've more, from the very beginning, been just going through the story and trying to pull out different pieces that have stood out to me and then compare and contrast them to the movies. But no, really really overwhelmed in a good way about the support of keeping it the way that I have been doing it. And my wife was the number one advocate. She says that for people like her who have not read the books, the way that I go through it really helps set up the story in a way that helps her understand what's going on around her because she understands that it's different from the movies and she's seen all of the movies. And so she says that if I go away from the way that I am doing it, It could make it harder to follow along for people who have not actually read the books. And I can understand that for sure. But again, multiple people reaching out to me and saying, no, I want to do it this way. Like, keep it the same. Please keep it the same. And so for now, yes, I will definitely keep it the same. I just want to change it up a little bit to add more to it. So it's not just the same continuous thing of me going through week after week after every other week when I'm sick kind of thing. Because, you know, for some reason I enjoy being sick or at least you think I would with how often I'm getting sick. The other really exciting piece of news that I wanted to share is the cover update that was put out for Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix, the next illustrated edition that's coming out. It actually had a release date with the cover update. It looks like it's going to be October 11th, so that's really exciting. I personally choose those books myself to go through this podcast with. It gives me a really good chance to not just go through the story, but even also explain and talk about some of the pictures in here. And it's they're just amazing portraits that are in here. Like, you get a very good, accurate, detailed depiction of these characters based on how they're actually talked about in the books. And something that Jim Kay does, which I've talked about before is so cool is he'll go off of these illustrations, but more than that, he'll go out into the world and try and find people who match those descriptions and he'll sit and he'll watch them and not in a weird way. Like he gets their permission and stuff, or if they're with parents, gets the parents permission And he watches them make different facial expressions and and make different actions with their body. And that's what he uses then to draw his characters or he'll create 3D models of the things like buildings of Diagon Alley and and Hogwarts and the Hogwarts Express. All of these really non-people aspects of the story. And he then draws them. From people to buildings to wands to trains, he'll find a way to have some kind of physical representation of the description from the book, and then he'll draw them. And so it's so accurate. The The pictures that are in here are almost to a T exactly the way that I imagined them going through the stories the first time in my head. So I cannot recommend the illustrated versions of this book enough. And now that we have a release date for the next one, I'm so excited. I cannot wait now until October. It's going to be really, really exciting to get this book and go through it and see some of the different characters that are introduced in this one and see how close they are to the movie and see if they're really like what I see in my head when I envision these characters from the book. Now, there is something I kind of want to talk about. It's this idea that I'm bouncing around in my head, and I think it would be really interesting to go through this. And what this is, what I'm thinking about, as I've been listening to my coworker who has the the daughter, Holly, who just went through... The, the fourth book, actually, she just went through Goblet of Fire. She's nine years old, mind you. She was the person a few episodes back that I, I wished a happy birthday to because they were having a Harry Potter birthday for Holly. I wanted to maybe – I want to work this idea in. I think it's really cool. As my coworker has talked to me about her reactions, her daughter's reactions about Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire – And has kind of hinted at her reactions to the other stories. It is very interesting to see her takeaway as a nine-year-old of the stories versus our adult takeaways of the stories. And I really think it would be cool to maybe sit down with my coworker and talk to her more in depth about, and I've talked to her about this a little bit already, so this isn't a surprise to her, but getting a list of like full reaction of Holly from the books and seeing really just the big major differences in kid reactions versus adult reactions. And I don't want to say anything yet of what I've already heard Holly's reactions of a few things are, but I can tell you that they're vastly different than some of the reactions that I have had it's very interesting and the thing that is really intriguing to me about it is the fact that this is originally a kid's book and to see that a kid has a much different reaction than adult which obviously they should a kid hasn't experienced as much life as an adult has and we relate to things totally different on a totally different level than kids ever should or could and I say should because there are Obviously, situations and where kids have to cope with situations that they are much too young to have to bear, not unlike our friend Harry at times. And so, it's an interesting idea that I have bouncing around in my head, and I really want to shape it. But I wanted to share that one with you because I think it's something that would be really exciting, and I would love your feedback as well. If you have kids yourself and They have gone through the books and they have had any kind of comments or reactions to anything in the books or even the movies, that is. like, If you have kids that – I don't know why I paused so long on saying kids there – but if you have kids that have even went through the the books or maybe even the play, the Cursed Child play, I'll include that inside of this too, or the books – or the audiobooks in any way that they have gone through Harry Potter and they've had like an interesting reaction to a scene. If you can recall that, let me know, reach out to me, commonroomtalk talk at gmail.com. And if there's any situation where you had a reaction that was different than your kid's reaction to any of this, same thing, reach out to me. I would love to hear it. I would love to talk about it. I think it would go really well with this project that I have working inside of my head. Again, commonroomtalk@gmail.com. Now, this is it. This is the last chapter of Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. This is Chapter 17, The Man with Two Faces. Now, last episode, we left out where? Not left out, left off with Harry leaving Hermione, well, technically, Hermione leaves Harry as she goes back through the doorway with a fire that they had first come through before there was fire there. And then Harry goes forward through the opposite door that leads him into the next chamber where he doesn't walk into somebody, but he walks into the chamber and there's already somebody there. And this is where we got that cliffhanger. It wasn't Snape and it wasn't even Voldemort. So who was it? Well, the very first sentence of the 17th chapter answers that question. It was Dumbledore. I'm kidding. It's not Dumbledore. That was a total joke. Hope you guys enjoyed that. It was Quirrell. You, gasps Harry. And so imagine that shock. Harry walks into the chamber. There's somebody there. Not Voldemort not Snape, the two people he was expecting, but he sees Professor Quirrell standing there. And Quirrell looks back up at him, and his face wasn't twitching at all. He wasn't his normal self. In fact, he looks up at him, and he says, yes, me, very calmly. I wondered whether I would be meeting you here, Potter. And Harry says, I thought it was Snape. And Quirrell laughs again. He says, Severus? Yes, he does seem the type, doesn't he? So useful to have him swooping around like an overgrown bat next to him who would suspect poor stuttering Professor Quirrell. So literally just like the movie, word for word, those go really well together. But Harry's having a really hard time taking all of this, and he's struggling with it. This couldn't be true. How could it be true? And he says, Snape tried to kill me. Quirrell says, nope, I tried to kill you. Your friend Miss Granger accidentally knocked me over as she rushed to set fire to Snape at that Quidditch match. Now, if you guys remember, that happens. She's rushing to get to Snape, accidentally knocks over poor Professor Quirrell, and then sets Snape on fire. All of that fun stuff. In the movie, she runs over, sets Snape's robes on fire from behind the bleachers, which then for some reason causes Snape to dive out of the way. Either way, Snape's on fire, Quirrell's out of the way. He continues by saying, she broke my eye contact with you another few seconds and I would have had you off that broom. I'd have managed it before if Snape hadn't been muttering a counter curse trying to save you. And Harry's just blown away. Snape was trying to save me. He says, of course, why do you think he wanted to referee your next match? And so, again, that was another difference between the book and the movie, where Snape then wanted to be a referee. Everyone thought that it was because Snape was trying to cause Gryffindor to lose. However, he was there trying to save Harry's life. And there's a part in here that is a little strange if you look at it from the fact that This was the very first book out. There probably wasn't a whole lot of storyline written into this. I do know that J.K. Rowling had a few ideas that she was going to keep all the way to the end. But I don't know how played out they were. But you do see Quirrell say something that's really interesting here. As he's talking about Snape and all of the stuff that he was doing to try and save Harry. And being the referee... And everyone thinking Snape was trying to stop Gryffindor from winning. He says, all the other teachers thought Snape was trying to stop Gryffindor winning. He did make himself unpopular. And what a waste of time when after all, I'm going to kill you tonight. And so that line, he did make himself unpopular. It makes me wonder if there would have potentially been a different story arc for Severus Snape. Now, without going into detail about what we do know happens with Snape, I wonder if, again, if there would have been a different kind of storyline. We know how it plays out because it plays out the way that it does. But based on that there, and based on what we see of Snape throughout the book, it seems as if it could have been the very like typical false portrayal of a character who's not actually the villain being the villain Or suspected of being the villain. It's very prevalent in a lot of stories. But I would think the easiest kind of stories to recall. This is going to be really silly. And I bet you weren't expecting this. But Scooby-Doo. You think of all the times that they have an idea of who they're about to unmask. And a lot of times they unmask the person. And they're like, wait, this wasn't them? And then they put all the pieces together. That kind of thing. And so that's what happens with Snape. But you would think, going through the story, based on the portrayal that Snape is in, or has, that he would be the person here. And yet it's not. And this line itself, that he made himself unpopular, it makes me wonder if maybe Snape was going to be portrayed differently. I I don't know, just a, a thought. But it was something really interesting to think about. But Quirrell does say that he is going to kill Harry Tonight. So now something happens that isn't in the movies. This is very different because of. Well, you'll see. So Quarrel snaps his fingers and ropes spring out of thin air and wrap themselves tightly around Harry. And then he says, You're too nosy to live, Potter, scurrying around the school at Halloween like that. For all I knew, you had seen me coming to look at what was guarding the stone. And then Harry says, you let the troll in. And he says, certainly I have a special gift with trolls. You must have seen what I had done to the one in the chamber back there. Unfortunately, while everyone else was running around looking for it, Snape, who had already suspected me, went straight to the third floor to head me off. And not only did the troll fail to beat you to death... That three-headed dog didn't even manage to bite Snape's leg off properly. So, a lot of information in that little paragraph. In the movies, there is no ropes. Snape does snap his fingers. That doesn't happen just yet. But he's talking to Harry in what I would say is the typical, I'm going to reveal my plot to you um, as a villain. Kind of scenario, and you see that happening a little bit here. I think with Snape, for some reason, villains boast. It just happens. I don't know if that happens in real life, because like you know, whole the whole like real life super villain kind of thing not really being totally real. But I wonder if like bank robbers themselves, while they're like in the middle of a heist, are just revealing their master plans to people, and maybe that's where that concept came from. Like I don't know. It's it's just weird that villains always want to talk about how they got to where they were or how they're going to get to where they're going kind of thing. They always want to talk about their plans and and make themselves sound smart, which I know is maybe like a psychological profile that's been made of people in their pride and how they want the attention and how it's to be about them and to elevate themselves above their victims and, and that they are the one in control, that they're the ones who pulled all the strings and that it's them, 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 that kind of thing. It, it's probably interlaid somewhere in and around all of that fun stuff, but that's what Coral does. He he starts talking about the way that he wanted to get in. He sees that he says he has a special gift with trolls and how he took care of the troll in the other chamber and – It's still about him. And it's a very interesting thing to to really look at. But in the movie, Harry and Quirrell have that little conversation where it's a little bit different. It's still along those lines where um, Quirrell says, I knew you'd be trouble right from the off, especially after Halloween. And that's when Harry also then guesses that, well, he says, you let the troll in. Quirrell says, very good, Potter and there's similarities there's differences the biggest one was just the ropes um, there is a point where quarrel does snap his fingers and instead of ropes coming up and keeping harry where he is fire springs up around the entire room on the barriers and so harry can't escape the room but he's still right there with them now he turns away from harry he says you need to wait quietly i need to examine this interesting mirror and it was only then that harry realized that Professor Quirrell was actually standing next to the mirror of Erised. Now, in the movies, it's something that the watchers pick up instantly. Harry walks into this chamber, and it seems as if this chamber is just a like, maybe like a rectangle shape with pillars on the outside and steps that go all the way around the room, leading down to this little area where Quirrell was standing in front of the huge mirror of Arased. And he's looking into it as Potter is walking in. And I'm saying Potter as if I'm saying it from the villainous side of the story. Harry walks in. We're on the good side. We're here. Team Harry, not Team Quirrell. And Quirrell's looking into the mirror. Harry's walking in. And it stands out immediately to you as a watcher. And so Harry doesn't notice it until it's now pointed out to him. And he starts thinking of a way to distract... Quarrel from looking into the mirror because I think Harry is also on the same wavelength and understanding that the mirror has something to do with actually retrieving the stone and so he tries to play for time which is really smart for a kid who's only 11 years old he says I saw you and Snape in the forest and Quirrell says yes he was on to me by then trying to find out how far I'd got he suspected me all along he tried to frighten me As though he could, when I had Lord Voldemort on my side. Now, there is a lot of information that is about to pop up in these next few paragraphs, and I'm going to try and unpack as much of it as I can because it is really interesting to the story in general. And without trying to go in too far to the actual story, I really want to pick apart some of these things. And so, first off, is that first line when I had Lord Voldemort on my side. That is really interesting to me in the grand scheme of what we know about Snape. Again, for people who have been through the story knowing what happens with Snape, for people who have never been through the story, you are in for a wild ride. And I'm sorry that a lot of this might not make sense to you now, but I promise you by like the... Third chapter, maybe the second chapter. I can't remember which chapter is called Spinner's End in the very last book. A lot of this really makes sense and it takes a long time to get there. But now, what is really interesting is that Quirrell says that Snape tried to frighten him as though he could when he had Lord Voldemort on his side. What does that look like? Having Voldemort on his side? That is pretty revealing. Like, we knew that Voldemort was somehow involved, but now we know that he's involved with Professor Quirrell somehow. And so Quirrell's walking around this mirror. He's staring into it. It says, hungrily staring into it, trying to figure out how to work it. He says, I see the stone. I'm presenting it to my master, but where is it? Harry's struggling against the ropes that are binding him there, trying to figure out how to get out and also trying to keep his attention away from the mirror. And so he continues on saying, but Snape always seemed to hate me so much. And this is where it gets interesting. Quirrell says, oh, he does. Heavens, yes, he was at Hogwarts with your father. Didn't you know? They loathed each other, but he never wanted you dead. So we're in the first book and we're getting some details about stuff that doesn't really pop up again until later on. But he says that, he was at Hogwarts with your father. So now we know that Snape and Harry's father were at Hogwarts at the same time. And they hated each other. But for some reason, Snape never wanted Harry to actually be dead. And then Harry says, but I a few I heard a few days ago sobbing. I thought Snape was threatening you. And this is where we actually get some emotion from Quirrell. He says that there was this, like a spasm of fear that flits across Quirrell's face. And Quirrell says, well, sometimes I find it hard to follow my master's instructions. He is a great wizard, and I am weak. And I think Harry is a little caught off guard by that. And he says, you mean he was there in the classroom with you? To which Quirrell says, he is with me everywhere I go. I met him when I traveled around the world. A foolish young man I was then, full of ridiculous ideas about good and evil. Lord Voldemort showed me how I was wrong. There is no good and evil. There is only power in those too weak to seek it. Now, in the movies, Quirrell doesn't say that at all, which is really weird. I don't know why that stuck out to me, but it did. Quarrel doesn't say that. But he continues and says Since then, I served him faithfully, although I have let him down many times. He has to be very hard on me. And Quirrell then, like, shivers. Like, you can tell that he's working through fear and other emotions about this. When I failed to steal the stone from Gringotts, he was most displeased. He punished me, decided he would have to keep a closer watch on me. And then Quirrell's voice kind of tails away. And Harry is remembering his trip to Diagon Alley and how he could have been so stupid. He had seen Quirrell there that very day, shaking hands with him in the leaky cauldron. Now, as far as a timeline goes, this is really interesting to think about. And I think I might have actually raised this point up a little bit when we were at this point in the story. But back in Diagon Alley, when Professor Quirrell and Harry first meet, this is that instance right here. He says, potter can't tell you how pleased I am to meet you and right as he first says Potter he's stammering but it says that he's grasping Harry's hand so they very much indeed did shake hands at this point and I can't tell you how like just excited I am about this it's so interesting but back in our point in the story Harry's thinking about this and about how That day, he had met Professor Quarrel and shaken hands with him in the Leaky Cauldron. And for those of you who have been through the story and knows what happens, you probably know what I am about to get to and what is about to happen. But definitely, they had shaken hands. They had grasped each other's hands. And just a moment ago, Quarrel said that it was after failing to steal the stone from Gringotts that he was displeased with him, that he decided to keep a closer watch on me. So just keep all of that in mind, and we're going to revisit it in just a moment. Quirrell turns his attention back to the mirror and says, I don't understand. The stone inside the mirror, should I break it? And Harry's mind is racing. He's thinking to himself, what I want more than anything else in the world at the moment is to find the stone before quarrel does so if i look in the mirror i should see myself finding it which means i'll see where it's hidden but how can i look without quarrel realizing what i am up to so he's starting to work on a plan now in his head and it's not a bad plan either so harry tries to start edging over to his left to get in front of the glass without quarrel noticing now mind you he's still bound in these ropes And that's what it says next, but the ropes around his ankles were too tight. He trips over and falls. Quirrell ignores it. He's still talking to himself. What does this mirror do? How does it work? Help me, master. And at that moment, something really frightening happens. A voice actually answered, but it seemed to come from Quirrell himself. And it said, Use the boy, use the boy. So Professor Quarrel quickly rounds on Harry. He says, yes, Potter, come here. And he claps his hands once, and the ropes binding Harry fell away. And he slowly got up to his feet. And again, he says, come here. Look in the mirror and tell me what you see. So Harry walks towards him, and he's thinking to himself, I have to lie. I must lie. I must look and lie about what I see. That's all. And Quarrel moved close behind Harry. Harry is breathing in this funny smell that seem to come from quarrel's turban he closes his eyes steps in front of the mirror and he opens them again and he sees his reflection he looks pale and scared but after a moment the reflection smiles at him and it put its hands into its pockets that is again his reflection is putting its hands into its own pockets and he pulled out this blood red stone the reflection then winks back at harry and puts the stone back in his pocket and as it did so Harry felt something drop into his real pocket somehow incredibly he had got the stone now, in the movie in that moment, Harry sees this happen, and you see the little wink from Harry, and he puts the stone back in his pocket and I don't this is so dumb it it's probably just like the theatrics of the movie, but Harry looks down kind of slightly with his head towards his pocket, grabs the stone and then like stiffens up really quickly is you know like it's a classic tell like you you've just given everything away. So, Quarrel asks him rather impatiently, "What do you see?" And so Harry is just working up his courage. "I see myself shaking hands with Dumbledore. I I've won the house cup for Gryffindor." And Professor Quirrell I guess buys it. He, he's he's upset and it says that he cursed again and he says get out of the way so harry moves aside feeling the stone in his pocket and he's thinking to himself does he make a break for it but he hadn't even taken five paces before that high voice spoke again and he was looking up at Quirrell, and his lips weren't moving and he hears the words he lies he lies and Quirrell turns and shouts. He says, Potter, come back here. Tell me the truth. What did you just see? And then the high voice spoke again. He says, let me speak to him face to face. And Quirrell says, Master, you are not strong enough. And he says, I have strength enough for this. Now, Harry is petrified at this point. To him, As his thoughts were, it it felt like Devil's Snare was rooting him to the spot. He couldn't move a muscle. He's terrified. He's petrified. Quirrell reaches up and begins to unwrap his turban. What was going on? The turban fell away. Quirrell's head looked strangely small without it. And then he turned slowly on the spot. And it says here that Harry would have screamed, but he couldn't make a sound. Where there should have been the back of Quirrell's head, there was a face. The most terrible face Harry had ever seen. It was chalk white with glaring red eyes and slits for nostrils like a snake. And it whispers to him, Harry Potter. Harry tries to take a step backwards, but his legs wouldn't move. The face continued to talk. It says, see what I've become. Mere shadow and vapor. I have form only when I can share another's body. But there have always been those willing to let me into their hearts and minds. Unicorn blood has strengthened me the past few weeks. You see, Faith will quarrel drinking it for me in the forest. And once I have the elixir of life, I will be able to create a body of my own. Now, why don't you give me the stone in your pocket? Now, on the left-hand page here is probably one of my favorite portraits. You see the back of Professor Quirrell, and you see he's wearing these black and purple robes, and he's standing away from the picture, and the background is the very green murky chamberous looking background and where in the movies you have this nice polished little chamber the mirror that is in front of Quarrel here is reflecting what looks like maybe a rocky kind of chamber and not so polished and built and Quarrel is standing here and he's reaching up with both hands to his turban and again we're looking at the back of his head And his left hand kind of has one part of the turban pulled up. And you see this glaring red eye coming out of it. And his right hand is untwisting part of another piece of the turban. And so you can see this face slowly being revealed in this portrait. Gorgeous picture. Now, as I'm sure everyone can guess, this is Lord Voldemort. Now, there is something that I really want to point out that is really funny to me. And for this, we need to go back quite a few chapters to something. Keep in mind, Lord Voldemort was just revealed on the back of Professor Quirrell's head. Back in chapter 12, when we first came across the Mirror of Erised, as it is also titled The Mirror of Erised, the very beginning of the chapter starts like this. Christmas was coming, One morning in mid-December, Hogwarts woke to find itself covered in several feet of snow. The lake froze solid, and the Weasley twins punished for bewitching several snowballs so that they followed Quirrell around, bouncing off the back of his turban. Now, you might remember in that episode, I pointed this out, and I told you that this is going to be really funny when you think about this by the end of the story. They are probably the only two people in existence to have ever thrown a snowball at Voldemort's face. Like, Think about it. They were literally throwing snowballs at Voldemort and hitting him technically in the back of the turban, but in the face. It's great. It's so wonderful. And these are the kind of things that you go through the story multiple times and you pick these things out and it's just so funny to me it's so entertaining now in the movies at this point we do see Voldemort revealed and it's all really early cgi for like the time and it is not very good cgi but there are some aspects to it that are really weird to me you see Quirrell is facing Harry he unwraps the turban and voldemort's face is revealed in the mirror itself and when he takes the turban off you kind of like see voldemort's face like stretch out from the back of his head like he's like just waking up and like getting his morning yawn and stretching it's super weird and you see voldemort talking to harry at first through the reflection and as voldemort's talking he has what you would consider like the typical like gestures and mannerisms with his face as he talks, the raising of eyebrows, the tilting of the head. And what's weird about it is as he's talking, you see Quirrell's head tilting back and forth as though he is controlling his head but moving it to add maybe some kind of normalcy to Voldemort's face as he's talking. I don't know. It's super weird when you pay attention to it. And I, I guarantee you, when you go back and watch it again, you're going to look at it and be like, okay, that is really weird. And I don't know if you guys have ever seen the concept art for Voldemort in the movies, and they made him look like almost like either Bowser or some of the Goomba monsters from the really terrible Mario Brothers movie that is also really good at the same time. It doesn't make sense, but it, it was a rather creepy-looking Rendition of Voldemort that was originally in the concepts, and thankfully they changed it to where you see his face then. And he actually, if you didn't know this, if you pay attention, he has a nose as Voldemort in the movie. But in the movie, you see that Voldemort is talking to Harry through Harry's reflection of the mirror at first. And he has a little bit of this conversation. And in the movie, you actually see Voldemort say that line There is only power in those too weak to seek it. And he's saying this as he's trying to convince Harry to join him by giving him the stone In that together they'll change the world and typical villainous stuff again. And you see it a little different here. Voldemort says, don't be a fool. Better to save your own life and join me or you'll meet the same end as your parents. They died begging for mercy and then harry screams liar but in the movie you see these images of his parents that pop up in the mirror and so you get a little taste maybe of voldemort's power here and what he can do and he's trying to convince harry that um things were different with his parents that they were brave and then harry's being brave like them and that's when he says the line the power in those two weak to seek it in his parents image kind of fade away in the mirror and that's when Harry screams you liar at this point coral starts walking backwards towards Harry and he was smiling and Voldemort says how touching I always value bravery yes boy your parents were brave I killed your father first and he put up a courageous fight if there was something to really focus in on for later in the story It is that line right there because it is vastly different when we see something portrayed in regards to this later. And I can't give you more information than that. But like, if there's something you wanted to write down on a sticky note and keep somewhere to say, hey, remember this from the first story, this is it. That Harry's father put up a courageous fight. And he says, but your mother needn't have died. She was trying to protect you. Now, give me the stone unless you want to have her have died in vain. And then Harry says, never. And so Harry sprang forward towards the flame door, but Voldemort screamed, "Seize him. And the next second, Harry felt Quirrell's hand close over his wrist. And at once there was this sharp pain that seared across Harry's scar. His head felt as though it was going to split in two and he yelled. He's struggling with all of his might, and to his surprise, Quarrel let go of him. The pain in his head had lessened, and he looked wildly around to see where Quarrel had gone, and he seen him hunched over, looking at his hand in pain, and his hand was blistering before his eyes. Voldemort screaming, sees him, sees him, so Quarrel lunges again, and he knocks Harry off of his feet, landing on top of him both hands around Harry's neck. His scar was almost blinding him with pain, yet he could see Quarrel howling in agony. He says, Master, I cannot hold him. My hands, my hands. And Quarrel, though pinning Harry to the ground with his knees, let go of his neck and stared, bewildered at his own hands. Harry could see that they now looked burnt, raw, red, and shiny. And then he says, then kill him, fool, and be done. So Quirrell raised his hand to perform a deadly curse, but Harry by instinct reached up and grabbed Quarrel's face and Quarrel screams out. He rolled off of him, his face started blistering too, and then Harry knew Quarrel couldn't touch his bare skin, not without suffering terrible pain. His only chance was to keep hold of Quarrel, keep him in enough pain to stop him from doing a curse. So Harry jumps up and he catches Quarrel by the arm and hung on as tight as he could. Quirrell screamed and tried to throw Harry off. The pain in Harry's head was building. He couldn't see. He could only hear Quirrell's voice, his terrible shrieks, and Voldemort's yells of kill him, kill him. And the other voices, maybe Harry's own head, crying, Harry, Harry. He felt Quirrell's arm wrench from around his grasp, knew all was lost, and fell into darkness down, down, down. And that's where that scene ends in the books. Now, in the movies, we see that Quirrell grabs Harry, but not until Harry puts his hand on Quirrell does that magic, whatever it is, seem to kick in. And instead of blistering, you see his hand start to crumble and fade away. And Harry looks down at his hands, and Quirrell says, what is this magic? But Harry stands up, runs up, and puts his hands on Quirrell's face, to which his entire body then falls to ashes as he reaches forward towards Harry. Harry goes to pick up the stone and this weird spirit thing rises up out of Quarrel's ashes, swooshes through Harry, and Harry falls and passes out. The stone rolls away briefly from his hand and the scene cuts from there. And some things that I want to point out. One... Harry couldn't touch Quirrell. In the beginning of the movie, you see that Harry reaches his hand out to shake hands with Quirrell when they first meet. Quirrell rejects it, kind of implying maybe that Voldemort was already there with him. And he knew that he couldn't touch Harry. And so that was very odd. That was very unneeded in the movies. And it definitely throws off some stuff from this point. But here in the books, we see that when they first met, they did shake hands. And it wasn't until after that point that Quirrell had said Voldemort decided to keep a closer eye on him. And so I wonder what that looks like, what that means, that he wanted to keep a closer eye on him. And in what form was he then interacting with Voldemort before then, before he was actually embodied in Quirrell? And a lot of interesting things to think about there. But we do know that timeline-wise, it wasn't when they first met that Voldemort was already with Professor Quirrell. He didn't have an issue with touching him then. And Harry very much pointed out that in his memory, that they shook hands. So it's an important detail when you're trying to think about the timeline of things. And in the movies, it was Harry's touch himself that he initiated that then caused the issues where here in the books – any touch from Coral when it was Coral touching Harry, caused his hands to blister. So again, just some differences there, and we do see all of that stuff kind of come together, but it's still different from the book to the movies, and that's honestly where we will probably end this episode. Now in the next episode, I'm going to start off with some things that I want to read that are really cool behind the scenes details of this scene in the original book and some changes in the concepts and just some really cool stuff maybe about Professor Quirrell as well. And it's going to be really interesting. So the next episode is definitely going to be fun, but we are going to actually end the episode here. This is a really good stopping point. It's another cliffhanger. I don't think it's as cliffhangery as the last cliffhanger that we left you guys on, but it's a really good place to stop. And so I want to thank you guys again so much for listening. If you're enjoying the episodes, please like it, share it, comment on it, email me any talking points you want to talk about, questions, comments, concerns. Uh, as my boss says, "Wise cracks." If you guys want to say anything that's really funny as well, make fun of me for any reason whatsoever when it comes to the way that I talk about the, the story or in general or my terrible impressions of things, please reach out to me. Common Room Talk at gmail.com. We are on Facebook, we are on Instagram. I'm trying to do a better job of updating the social medias. I'm really bad at social media, and as you found out last episode, sometimes I'm really bad at even saying social media. However, thank you guys so much for listening. Please talk about it with your friends. Continue listening. We have a few episodes left before we're done with this story itself. We have one episode left for the chapter, but we're going to talk a little more after it. But again, Thank you guys. You're all wonderful. My name's Tony. I'm your host. And this is Common Room Talk.